Good morning. This is a reading from 1 Corinthians. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has, to, has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. Thank you, Ivan. So if you've wondered for the past number, if you've been here the past number of weeks and you're like, what is the deal with this? What's with the fence and the signs and the hay? That was the scripture that inspired all of that. That's why we've had this over here for the past number of weeks. These issues what Paul is talking about are actually going to be burned up, their wood and their hay. And the only thing that's going to last is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a couple things that I just want to do as housekeeping before I get into the message this morning. The first one is this. Next week, we're having a Dipes and Wipes Sunday. Dipes and Wipes Sunday. There is uh, an organization here in Arlington, you can see on the screen behind me, that helps out young single moms and it would be a great blessing, great gift for them to receive diapers and wipes. So you'll see a display as you go. We'd like to give them a whole mountain, a whole mountain of blessing for them. That would be an encouragement. All of these uh, young ladies are trying to continue their education. And so this is just a small thing that we could do that would be a huge blessing to them. Second thing I want to tell you about, and I think we also have a visual on this, is it's Food Truck Sunday next week here at Grace. So you know last week we talked about the fact that communion isn't a wafer and little tiny thing um, of grape juice to drink. It's actually an entire meal. So we're going to have an entire meal next week. So as you leave, there's going to be one or maybe more food trucks that are out on the curb, and we just encourage you to stay and enjoy the food truck. Last thing I want to say is we're going to have a Q&A today. I mentioned it in the welcome that hopefully the message is going to be shorter than normal, which usually makes everybody feel very, very happy. And we're going to have a question and answer time. And so in your bulletin, if you open up that first, that first flap, it's where all the way at the top on the left where it says today, you'll see in that little brief blurb that there's a, a cell phone number. 
And what we would like you to do is we would like you to text your questions to that cell phone number. Uh, any questions that you have, particularly about the things that we've gone over either today or the past couple weeks, and uh, we're going to cut the message short, and we're just going to do a Q&A. Now, maybe some of you don't want to hang out for the Q&A, you'd rather go. And so I'll conclude with the prayer, and we'll go right into the Q&A, and if you would like to go, you're more than free to go, but we're going to try to answer some of, uh, some of these questions that we have. If you don't have a machine that allows you to text, uh, we have 3 by 5 cards, and, and your bulletin. And you can just write it down on the three by five. And, then, and when we get to the end of the message, you can just wave to um, Kate's over here ushering and you can wave and we'll just wave the card and we'll make sure you get it. You can come down to the table here or something and we'll get that from you. Uh, and here's the reason we're doing this. It is absolutely impossible. It would be absolutely impossible that somehow over the course of these past couple weeks that I have not either misspoken or been misunderstood in, in some way. I've watched all, we're videotaping the messages as you see now. We have a video camera here so you can go to our website and see the video and I've watched each one of them. And you know, you might remember that one Sunday I actually got down on the ground here and was spoke to the man that was drowning here and I said, if you stop fornicating, you will float. So it's issue, things like that that I've said, whoa, I said, okay. And so it's things like that that maybe you might have questions around, you know, but in uh, a variety of other things too. So anyway, we, we just want to encourage the question. So let, let's start this morning by just trying to understand gospel, trying to understand salvation particularly. We'll get, we'll get on to spiritual growth a little bit, but what, what is this thing called gospel? And in, in my community group that I'm in, so you have that sheet of paper in your bulletin. So last week... The first question, what is the gospel? Our group spent an hour and a half on the first question. We never made it past the first question. And we had a very vigorous, wonderful, vibrant discussion just around that one question. This is the most important thing we could ever discuss. What is the gospel? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? So I got a couple just things here to fill in. And we've said this before. You have to ask yourself this question. Is it Jesus plus something? So, okay. I get right with God because of Jesus, but, you know, there's a bunch of other things, too, that I have to do. You have to ask yourself that question, because the gospel says it's Jesus plus nothing, and I have to ask myself, how am I operating? How am I trusting? How am I believing? Am I believing that Jesus plus something or Jesus plus nothing? Here's the next one, all right? Is Jesus Christ your Savior or your example? Now, you remember with the, the drowning man from, from week one? If Jesus Christ is your Savior, then he's like a lifeguard that comes in. You can't swim. You're dying. You're sinking. Going around, And he comes and he does everything. He picks you up. If he's your example, then what he gives you as you're drowning there because you can't see, he says, here's an instruction manual on how to swim. Here's how you do it. This is what Jesus Christ does. He's your, your Savior example, and that'll help you understand a lot whether you, you know, are buying into what the Bible tells us about the gospel of Jesus. And the last one is this. Is it your goodness or is it Jesus's goodness? Whose goodness is it? And this is a fascinating one, everybody, because all around the world, people say things like, you know, Christians really take a hard rap on this one, although every religion is exclusive. I just want to point that out, okay? But Christians really take it on the chin on this one. And people say, you know, 
you Christians, you think you're the only ones going to heaven, but there's good people. There's, there's good people who are Muslim and they're Hindu and they're Buddhist and there's atheists that are good people and the no religion, whatever. There's all these good people. How can you say that just you are getting in? Here, I need you to really listen to this really closely, okay? Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, says that no good people get in. That's what the gospel is. No good people. That's the point. That's the point. Only the bad people get in in Christianity. That's the gospel. The gospel is no good people get in. Right? So somebody will, somebody will think, you know, I, I'm going to do this thing and I know it's wrong, but I'll make up for it later by doing something that is good. And they're, it's, they're relying on their own goodness. I'm a good person, I should get in, right? And they rely on their own, it's kind of like the mafia, right? So people in the mafia, I don't know anybody in the mafia, but I'm just, I've watched, I've watched movies about the mafia, and they'll do all these terrible things, right? They'll kill people and abuse people, all this kind of stuff. But you know what? You know what? They feel still that they're okay with God because they really treat their mothers well, right? I mean, I might be bad to everybody, I'm really nice to my mom. And when I have kids, I take them to church and I, I, you know, I have them baptized. So all this bad stuff. Do, do you feel that in some way, and here's the thing, we all, as human beings, we feel that there's some goodness inside of us. And so what we're relying on is our goodness, not on Jesus' goodness. Look, they ask people who were in, ho- or in a hospital because of a car accident that they caused. And they said, how would you rate yourself as a driver? Said, I'm an excellent driver. This is human nature, that we feel that there's a goodness in us that's deserving. And the gospel says, I'm not good enough, and I'll never be good enough. So when somebody, oh, it's only you Christians get, you know, no, no good people are getting in. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is polar opposite to all kinds of thinking. This is what Paul gets into so much here. So... Paul gets really animated around this situation of the gospel. Look what he says in Galatians 1, 6-9. And he says the same thing in the passage that Ivan just read. He says, I am so astonished that you're quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ Jesus and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one that you accepted, let him be under God's curse. But he says the same. You just said that. He, he is so animated about this. He wants everybody to know that it's Jesus plus nothing. If you're saying anything else, it's... so. If we're rallied around this, and this is how we get righteous before God by avoiding these things over here, this is how we achieve spiritual growth, this is what Paul's saying. Is another go- this is another gospel right here. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're rallying around this. One. And this is why he gets so incredibly animated. Now, that pushes us. But this is what Paul's saying. Now, he comes back here and what Ivan just read. Look at verse number 17. If anyone destroys God's temple. God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you are together that temple. How do we destroy it? We destroy it by going off message. We destroy it by getting into 
uh, behavior modification is what Paul is talking. We have to be very careful not to do that. All right. We have, um, we have, we have spent these weeks these first three weeks talking about the gospel because the gospel is so vitally important in both our righteousness, getting right with God, and our spiritual growth. And what Paul is saying is, is if you, if you are spiritually stuck, I can't recall how many times people, or even my own life, people have come to me, or I've said to myself, I just feel like I'm spiritually stuck. And what Paul says, that if you're spiritually stuck, and any time in my past when somebody says, hey, you know what, I just feel like, man, I'm just, not, I'm just not moving spiritually. I need something. And either it's something that they need or something the church is not giving them. Oh, you need to pray more or, you know, you, you need a better message being preached to you, whatever. That's always been my thought. But Paul says no. It's actually not the issue here. The issue is, is that you don't truly believe in the gospel. What is at issue here is that somewhere inside of yourself, you're relying on your own goodness to make yourself right with God. Think about that for a second. If you're spiritually stuck and just by way of averages, that would be at least half of us here in this room probably, then what's happening, the reason I'm spiritually stuck is I'm relying on my own goodness and not on the goodness of Jesus Christ. Whoa. Well, that changes everything. And this is what Paul's argument is that it does. Now, the reason we have given so much time to this is this gospel of Jesus Christ is the basis for everything, for salvation, for spiritual growth, and for divisive issues, for divisive issues. So the reason Paul has spent four chapters before he even gets into the divisive issues is you can't have a good biblical argument discussion, however you want to put it, about these issues until you thoroughly understand what he's saying by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So next week, we're starting a new series. We have a slide on it. It's called Messy Relationships, right? So we're going to talk about divorce and sex and sexual orientation. But we can't, we, Paul says, you not, you're not even prepared. You might, I mean, I know some of us have come in here and said, you know what, okay, can we, can we stop talking about the gospel so much? Can we just get to the divisive issues? No. Paul says, no, you can't, because you're not even prepared to talk about these things until you thoroughly understand the gospel. Here's his, that's why the book of Corinthians is written the way that it is written. Now, anybody see the comments by the Pope this past week? I'm kind of starting to like the Pope. <laughs> Do you know what he said? He said, he said the church has become obsessed with homosexuality. We, we've been showing you that graph for the last, we're not going to show it to you again because we figure you got it down. 91% of Americans, ages 16 to 29, says, what's the Church of Jesus Christ about? Oh, it's about anti-homosexuality. Well, there's the Pope. He's saying, yep, he must have seen the same study. <laughs> We've become obsessed. Now, look, I have a quote for you. It'll be on the screen or it's on your outline. Right? No, it's not on your outline. It's only on the screen. We, he says this, quote, we have to find a new balance. Otherwise, even the moral edifice of the church is likely to fall like a house of cards. This is what Paul's talking about, everybody. We're destroying the church. This is what he's saying. Losing, now notice this. What are we losing? The freshness and fragrance of the gospel. Even the Pope's getting into the gospel. The church has sometimes locked itself up in small things. Small things. Church has sometimes locked itself up in small things and small-minded rules. The proclamation of the saving love of God comes before moral and religious imperatives. It just seems to carry a lot more weight when he says it 
as opposed to me. <laughs> Fascinating in the discussion, Christianity Today put out this whole full article of the Pope's interview. Do you know the first question he was asked in that interview? The reporter, the very first question, he said, Pope, tell us, who are you? And do you know what his answer was? This is awesome. He said, who am I? He said, I am a sinner. That's who I am. There you go. We talked about G.K. Chesterton last week and his response to the London Times. Same thing. I'm a sinner. So what is he saying? I understand the gospel. What, what? We talked about this a minute ago. I am not good enough to have a right relationship with God. I am not good enough to get into heaven. Good people don't go to heaven, right? People who realize that they're not good enough and relying on their goodness and their righteousness are the ones who are made right with God because they claim whose righteousness, whose righteousness they came. Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Somebody says to me, oh, you just think you're better. And I was like, no, no, actually, I'm worse than everybody else. I'm going in on his coattails. Jesus over here. And this is what the Pope is saying. I thought it was just... Absolutely fantastic that he said this, the Pope. All right, um, two things I want to do uh, before we go into the Q&A. I, I want to talk about how does this play out, the gospel of Jesus Christ in a life on a day-to-day -day basis. So two points. First point is this. We have to trust in the power of Jesus Christ. We have to We really trust. We just sang it. In the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have to trust in that power. Look what Paul says in verses 5 and 7 of our main passage. What after all is Apollos? What is Paul? They're only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each a task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. Who made it grow? God made it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything. So he's saying preachers or anybody, Christians, follow, they're nothing, right? They're not making things grow. They're nothing, is anything, but only God makes things grow. Only God makes things grow. If I become obsessed with these issues over here because I think if I just say it long enough and loud enough, I can make myself change or I can make other people change and I can change behavior and then people will be right with God and my understanding of being right with God. I think, okay, I have the power to make, make people change and that we should point it out. And the church basically is like the moral policeman the behavioral modification policeman of the entire world, and we give voice to that. This, this is what it's saying. And what Paul is saying is, no, that's not the case at all. The case here is that we rely on the power of God, not on our own power to make somebody change. I included, and I don't have time to read all this because I'm going to have to go quick to get this done. I include all these verses that he puts about the power of God. I just want to read you the last one from 1 Corinthians. They're smattered through the first four chapters. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. It's not a matter of talk, but it is power. And if I get myself wrapped up in the middle of that, saying, oh, well, you, all, you know, all this, I hinder the Holy Spirit from working in somebody's life. I included a passage for you from Colossians. I want to read just the underlying part of it for us. It says, these rules which have to do, these rules over here, right, that have to do with things that are all destined to perish, they're all going to burn up, right, are based on merely human commands and teaching. And look at the end where he says this, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Do you know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is? The gospel of Jesus Christ is I put 100% of my faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and I put 0% of my faith in my own righteousness and in my own goodness. 
This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, how this plays out is, is that if I, if I don't believe in the gospel, I become very impatient either with myself or with other people because they're doing certain things that I say, well, it's clearly commanded in the Bible that you shouldn't do that. And I become very impatient with their behavior okay, if I don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I doubt the power of God. I included uh, a little excerpt here from uh, Max Lucado. Now, if you're a Christian and you haven't heard of Max Lucado, where have you been? <laughs> what has he written? Three billion books? I don't know. But there's a book coming out, like weekly, a book comes out. In a 2012 interview with Christianity Today, Max Lucado, renowned author and former pastor at Oak Hills Church in Texas, cautioned church leaders against impatience. Quote, Lucado says, We have several people in our church who practice a homosexual lifestyle. If I get up and say, God loves you, God loves you just where you are, and he's going to help you change. Will they really get it as quickly as I want them? I want them to get it. I think there's a desire in us. Now, look at this word he uses. There's a desire in us to control the time and the way in which people grow in God. He said it is essential for leaders to trust God to work out his will as he wants it to be worked out. All right, here's just what I want you to think about, and I'm going to close this point down and go to the next one. If I am so concerned about people's moral behavior, if I am just so, ah, just, ah, I've got to tell them. Tell them it's a sin, John. And some people have been telling me that, so I understand where it's coming from. All right, if I'm so concerned about that, isn't this, Paul says there's no power in me just harping, harping, harping on that. He says, if you really want to see someone change, isn't the smartest thing to do to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has absolutely nothing to do with human performance or moral behavior, isn't that the smartest thing to do? Because if somebody truly grasps the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us clearly in numerous places that the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, comes into that person's life or comes into my life, and that's a power like we've never known. And then God begins, in God's timing, in God's way, begins to make the changes rather than, as Locato says, I'm saying, oh, this is happening quick enough. Well, this is really begins up to God. So if you feel that one of these things on this board of it, oh, man, that's an absolute sin. If you introduce somebody to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Spirit comes in, well, then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, begins to say, okay, let's make a change here and there. But that's not up to you. That's up to the Holy Spirit. Are you tracking with me? And so what I'm actually doing, if I'm over here and just, oh, man, homosexuals are running wild. They're killing our entire country. If I am doing that, what I'm actually doing is doubting and denying the very power of God Almighty. Does that make sense? My harping on these issues is me exclaiming to you that I doubt the power of God. And I would think that people who are so obsessed, at least some of them who are so obsessed about it, would tell you in a second, oh yeah, I believe in the power of God. Okay, I understand. Listen, um, I have to get animated every now and then up here. Right, I'm not trying to come across. I'm try, I'm not even. Ma- okay, I'm not even. Paul's very animated. All right, so I understand that some of the things I'm saying misunderstood, and some of you get angry with me. I wanted to say at the beginning of all these messages, hey, first thing I want to say is I'm not God. All right, I'm not. I, you know, I don't know anything. I'm just trying to give voice to some things that I see that are being said here clearly by Paul in the Book of Corinthians, and this is not. <laughs> this is not an easy task to do. I do not relish this task. I've been sick every week. <laughs> every week. I walked into a tree this past week because... 
I'm dead serious. I was listening to a message about the gospel, and I was thinking so hard that I couldn't lift my head up because it was just, whatever. It's good. All right. Just one last passage. I only have six minutes to go, and I really want to say one other thing to you. Okay, look at what is said in Zechariah. Very famous. Not by might, not by power, but who? who? By who? By God's Spirit. Look. We don't... It's by God's Spirit. And then notice how he ends it. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. Paul says himself, it seems that the gospel is weak and small. It seems. That's what he's saying. It seems weak and small, everybody. And what seems powerful is when I come over here and I say, oh, that's sin. That's sin. God's going to judge. That seems powerful. But what Paul is contrasting, he says, that actually is no power. It's all going to get burned up here. What's really powerful is the gospel because the Holy Spirit comes in and that's a power like a nuclear bomb going off inside of our lives and then God begins to make change. Let's move to the next point. The last thing, I just let's stop doubting the power of God. All right. Trust in Jesus' sacrifice. Oh, boy, this is going to be close. All right. Uh, let's do it this way. We've sang about the blood. What is up with the blood? What is up with the cross? Why do we talk about the blood, the blood of Jesus? Why do we talk about the blood and the sacrifice so much? Listen, first of all, the cross does not have the same meaning that it does today that it did back then. Today, crosses are kind of they're clean and even kind of beautiful. Right? We, we put them everywhere. You know, most churches have a cross. Right? The cross doesn't have the same meaning that it had 2,000 years ago. The cross was despised. It was hated. It was rejected. It was despicable. People preferred to die in arena at the hands of a gladiator, right? They preferred that kind of death than be crucified on a cross. I mean, gladiators who were like, they would kill people creatively, right? You've seen the movies, oh, we're going to take off a finger, right? And they little, with the tweet, you've seen the mafia movies, right? Or whatever, 24, when 24, all right, let's take a finger off, let's take it. So well, they, they killed people creatively. It was like murder, uh, dramatic murder, right? They preferred to be killed on a cross than to be, have that slow torture of that death. People preferred to be eaten by animals than to die on a cross. Why? Because not only was the cross extreme pain, it was extreme humiliation. And the Bible says, cursed is anyone who dies on a cross. Not everybody got to die on a cross. You had to be very special to die on a cross. They saved the cross for the worst of the worst. They saved the cross for the dregs of society, the worst people. And so that's why they were like, you got to kill Jesus on the cross because once he dies on that cross, nobody's going to believe in him because the worst of the worst is on the cross. Right? They stripped you naked. You defecated all over yourself in front of everybody. You died on the cross. It was humiliating for you and for your entire family. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. And we're told that Jesus Christ in John 1.14 comes full of grace and truth. Um. This grace and truth thing, guys, he's not one, he's not the other. This is really important to understand the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel, and Jesus Christ is grace and truth. Here's one way to kind of put it. Um, when my wife, if she ever gets pulled over you know, by a policeman, she always gets Mr. Rogers. So Mr. Rogers comes up to my wife, Kristen, and says, Hey, ma'am, you were doing 50 and a 25, and your taillight's out, and this. And she's like, Hey, don't you have time to get real criminals or something? What are you doing? You're wasting the time. And he's like, Oh, you're right. Sorry. I should have never bothered you today. All right. I... I, I, I over here, I, I, get, I get pulled over and I get Javert, right? The policeman from Les Mis. That's who I got. He's like, sir, you're going 26 and a 25. 
and your tire pressure looks a little bit low. We're going down to the station. <laughs> unrelenting, unrelenting. There is the two sides, grace and truth. Here's what you need to know. Jesus Christ, God Almighty, is an unrelenting punisher of sin. Unrelenting. He punishes sin to, to the farthest degree. This is who he is with his wrath and his fury, he comes down. I've, I've got John 3.16. We love John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son. That's be- I love the New Testament, Jesus. But what do we do with verses like this? I only gave you a couple. Deuteronomy, that God is, God is a consuming fire. Woohoo! All the wicked will be destroyed. Ezekiel, I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with fiery anger. For someone who just says, oh man, God just, he, man, he just forgives, he just forgives sin kind of nonchalantly, has not come to grips with the holiness and the perfection of God. Haven't come to grips with it. God just doesn't nonchalantly forgive people of their sins. That's probably telling me it's time to quit. Um, I, I want to wrap it up this way, and then we're going to bring Derek up. I'll, I'll pray, and then we'll close. I have more to say about this. And I'm going to conclude this next week because it's actually, if you're, could we answer that phone? (laughs) Um, This is actually critically important to understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God is both grace and he's truth. His truth side says he must to be true to himself. He must be an unrelenting punisher of sin. His grace side comes in over here and says, I have to punish for sin. I will take the punishment. And I want to build that case for you next week. I want to just leave you with this. I want to leave you with this. There are people in this world, and actually the Pope talked about it this past week in, in, uh, in his interview, who just say, oh, but God just forgives. We serve a God of love. He just, he just forgives. He wants me to be happy. He just want me to be happy. I want to ask you a question. For someone that says that, what if you were to ask them the question, how much did it cost your God to love you like that? How much did it cost your God to love you like that? Well, the answer's got to be, well, it cost him anything. You're not understanding the gospel. The gospel is the cross is bloody. It's brutal. He took that payment. What are we inspired when we hear everybody about love? Love is always sacrificial, isn't it? Right? So, so if a doctor came to me today and said, hey, look, one of your kids has a very rare you know, heart problem and you have the only heart that can fix this situation, right? And my kids have been mistreating me for years and haven't even talked to me, right? What do you think my response would be? When can we start the surgery? It's going to cost my life for their life. And that's what God does. And it's not based on us. Last thing, please do not mistake indifference for love. Indif- oh God, he just wants me to be happy. I can do anything I want. That's indifference, everybody. Indifference is hate disguises love. It amazes me that we look at God and we detach him from all the ways that we as human beings would view other people. What would you think of a parent who said their kid wants to play out in the street? Say, I just want you to be happy. Play in the-. We'd say terrible parent. But we say that with God. So that's the lead-in for next week.
we're going to really get into how grace and truth come together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much, God, for your word and for the balance of your word. I just ask, God, that you would help us to understand this gospel that you talk about because it makes such a huge impact upon our lives. Help us to wrestle with it in effective ways. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, I went like two minutes over. You, if you want to go, man, you are free to go. Uh, you can. Derek's got a mic. We're going to go through some questions. If you didn't get, you have a card, you can wave it around. Nancy, are you going to collect cards? And Kate, you're going to collect. So if you have cards or not, you can text it. Go ahead. I don't okay. have, I'm not God. I don't have all the answers. We're just going to try something out. It'd probably okay. be a complete colossal failure, but go ahead. This, this first question uh, someone asked, and I actually need to know this too, because it's a really important one to me. Is it true that God loves the Redskins more than any other NFL team? <laughs> Very easy question to answer. I mean, you know, that was, yes, of course. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> I had quiet over there, big guy. <laughs> all right, all right, next question. What exactly is the gospel of Jesus Christ? <laughs> okay, you know what's amazing? I told Derek, Derek this before. I said, you know who keeps asking me that question more than anybody else? What is the God? I don't understand what the gospel is. It's people who've been in church almost all their lives. Isn't this fascinating? What exactly is the gospel? So here it is. The gospel is, the easy answer is, the gospel is Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross for my sins, and I put my trust in that sacrifice that he made. Now, I don't think that's doing it because we don't seem to understand that. So let's put it this way. Uh, the gospel is, as I said, it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus Christ lives a perfect life. He lives a life that I could not live. I'll never live. Oh, you try to be as good as you want to be. You, the whole Old Testament is about God exhausting us. Why does why the Old Testament last so many thousands of years, everybody? Why? Why do we get just these few brief years in the New Testament and so few years in the Old Testament? You know why? God is exhausting us. Sacrifice after sacrifice after they were They called Judaism the religion of the butcher house because it flowed with blood all the time. The holiest person in the land had to go and kill and shed blood all over the place. The sacred things in the tabernacle, God says, look, even these sacred things in the tabernacle that have been set apart, uh, take them and, and make a sacrifice because they're filled with sin. Even the holy things. So God is saying, I want you to get to the end of yourself in the Old Testament so you no longer trust in yourself and there's only one thing, only one thing, only one thing you trust in and that is in Jesus Christ and in his righteousness. You no longer trust in your right. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is when you understand that Jesus Christ, God's holiness demands, demands punishment. When Isaiah got a glimpse of God, what did he say in Isaiah? He says, I am destroyed. Oh, God is just this nice, God is a consuming fire who unrelentlessly punishes sin. He is going to punish sin. But his grace comes in and says, I will punish myself for their sins. And we put our faith and our trust in the fact that his righteousness and that he is willing to take our place. That's as good as I can do. Okay. Follow-up right question to that. Um, so we would love to study this gospel of Jesus. Can you tell us where, 
we go to study it, where it's located in the Bible, what would be your recommendation if you're trying to grasp that concept? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get stories about it, uh, particularly Matthew would be a, a great place to turn because Jesus in Matthew is, is, is he's speaking to people who are trying to attain a right relationship with God by their own human efforts. So from the Gospels, I'd say start with Matthew. Read the first uh, eight books of Romans. Read the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians. Read the entire book of Galatians. If I told you, could tell you one place to start on the Gospel, two places to start on the Gospel, <laughs> it would be the book of Galatians, and it would be the, the first eight chapters of Romans hammers it. How many times you read in Romans, there is a righteousness that is attained apart from what? Obedience, obedience to the law. And the law only points out our sin. It cannot save us. Well, and it says that constantly. So you do, and you begin to just grapple with that. Can, can I say one other thing? One other thing, everybody. If you think you're going to get to the place where you're like, okay, I've wrestled with the gospel. I understand it. I'm done. I'm moving on. No, wrong, don't do that. What Paul is advocating here is a constant wrestling and a wrestling with the gospel. And Peter got to the place where he said, I'm done with it, I've got it, and it flew right through his hands, and then Paul just blisters him. Never stop wrestling with the gospel. I know as human beings, we like to say, okay, I got this, I got this one down, now let me move on to more stuff. You're not moving on from this. Make this your life work. That's what they did in the church in the book of Acts. Go ahead. There's a list in the New Testament about those who will not get into the kingdom of heaven, and homosexuality is in that list. But you said as long as you accept Jesus, all that other stuff doesn't matter. That seems to contradict. Can yeah. you explain? Yeah, um, it's clear, uh, and we're not going to go way into the sexual orientation piece just yet. We're, we're, we're going to, that's a $10 billion question in our world today, $10 billion question. And what people get so upset is, don't give me simple answers to complicated questions. And they turn back around and say to me, now give me the simple answer. <clears throat> it's very difficult. So uh, we're going to talk more about it um, in, 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 in the weeks to come. Let, let me say this. Let me say this. Uh, that... Scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 9. Right? It's one piece of one verse. There's about nine verses in the Bible that talk about homosexuality. There are 31,000 verses in the Bible. Just if I'm, you know, if I'm just a casual observer, and I'm, I don't know, I'm not good at math, okay? 31,000 to nine verses. What's the percentage there? Don't yell it out, but you, you can figure it out in your head. Uh, <laughs> If I'm a casual observer, I'm like, okay, well, the Christian church in America is all about homosexuality, and it's like a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of 1% that it's talked about. What, what's the deal here? This, so this verse here is, is, is a little complicated to understand, and we talked about that last week about taking things into context. This is what we're going to do in the weeks ahead. Now, what is, what is phenomenally clear repeated places, repeated places in the Bible, is that salvation and righteousness with God is not based on moral performance. We're, I, how do you read all those verses in the Bible and become confused about that? How do you read constantly where it says, you know, even the verses I read you today, obedience to the law, moral performance, all of that is of no value. That the only thing is of value 
is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So the vast amount of evidence, scripturally speaking, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is about Jesus' righteousness, not about my moral performance. That's how I would answer that question. And I feel like, and I don't, you know, I'm not trying to seem any, it just seems like the evidence in the scripture is overwhelming that way. Though we're not, our human nature is not drawn that way. Next question. I understand God plus nothing. I think you actually said Jesus plus nothing. Yes. But have we not been commanded to love one another? Doesn't Jesus plus nothing become the foundation for loving one another? Loving one another won't get us into heaven, but it seems that love somehow connects us to God and can't be dismissed. Uh, everybody, you know, we're, here's, here's the concern that if it's Jesus plus nothing and it's all his righteousness, then somebody's going to say, Woo, I just go out and do anything I want and I can mistreat people and I can mistreat God. Look, let me say as best I can, that is inconceivable. It is inconceivable that somebody has understood the gospel, has received the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They understand that God is grace and God is truth and that he has been brutally murdered on our behalf and he took our place and the power of the Spirit has entered into our life and that we are not radically transformed. So what Paul says is if you haven't been radically transformed, is there not a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's work in your life? You clearly... You clearly, don't mean to be so animated, this is just Paul speaking, you clearly have not understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have not experienced a radical Holy Spirit transformation, you haven't understood. It happened for me 10 years ago, all right? Bible college, been to seminary, church all my life, no concept. About 10 years ago, God began to deal with me about this. I finally understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I did, I was like, oh my gosh, it wasn't about my right. It was all about his righteousness. Something happened to me that had never happened to me before. All of a sudden, I didn't feel like I had to. Oh, I got I to gotta make sure that my morals are... I didn't feel like I had to do that anymore. I just felt like this. I wanted to. There's a big difference between have to and want to. This something... Ha- Quit doubting the power of God. Quit doubting the power of God. When somebody truly has embraced the gospel and the righteousness of Jesus Christ, don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit's going to come into their life and there will be transformation. And if there hasn't been transformation, they haven't understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've communicated it the wrong way to them. I don't know. I'm not saying we sit around and we judge that. I'm just saying for myself, when I finally embraced it, there wasn't like maybe I'll change. There wasn't a maybe involved with it. It was, oh no, I'm changing. Amen, me too. Um, If the gospel teaches that true happiness comes only through the grace of Jesus Christ, why is it that the closer I get to Jesus, the worse I feel? And that's in terms of the depression and the shame for my sinning ways. So the closer I get to Jesus, the worse I feel when I thought it was supposed to be uh, it's where true happiness comes from. Yeah, well, Paul talks a lot about this when he talks about freedom and how we have freedom in, in, in Christ. So the, the issue is, going back, is that you're not trusting in the gospel. So the reason you're feeling bad is a couple of different... This is, again, oversimplification, but the, the, the real issue at hand here is... And this is so easy to do, everybody. This is so easy to do. That's why we have so much of this New Testament that is talking about basically gospel. 
So we revert back as human beings and we trust on our goodness. And so we feel terrible because we're trusting in our goodness and our righteousness. And then we feel bad when we do things that we, oh man, I shouldn't be doing this. And then we don't have the power to change because the Holy Spirit is not set free in our lives. And so we have to then go back to the gospel and say, okay, if I start trusting in Jesus's goodness, all of that fear, all of that fear of things that are law that shows us our sin begins to melt away. And all we begin to see is Jesus Christ and his righteousness and the Holy Spirit is loosed in our life. This is the argument that Paul makes. Well, read the question again. If the gospel teaches that true happiness comes only through the grace of Jesus Christ, why is it that the closer I get to Jesus, the worse I feel? And this is due to depression and shame for my sinning Okay, nature. so I, I feel the primary thing here is there's not a trusting in the gospel, and that is why our community groups are so incredibly important right now. See, if you're not in a group, jump into the party. Uh, like I said, my group, we talked about question number one. This is the question. This is the question. This is the question. This is the party. There is no other party in, as far as Paul is concerned. You want to figure out how to get right with God, how to get spiritually unstuck, how to get over this junk that is being said right here. It is a discussion wrapped around the gospel. And I will say, I know I've said this so many times, what we find is in the church, we're just like over here doing this stuff. Like there's no tomorrow thinking that it's going to do something. It's not. The discussion around the gospel is. Now, with all that being said, I do want to at least acknowledge that there are forces you know, at work in this world that are fighting both against the gospel and against me understanding the gospel and me presenting the gospel and all of that. I mean, if you've read any of the New Testament, Paul lived a fairly tough life. Um, because he was presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. I said it earlier, I, I've been sick every single week before doing and walking into trees and everything else. So uh, your fight, I just need you to know, you're, you're actually, you are fighting a battle, but that's where the freedom, and Paul says that in Galatians, he says, he says people came in to see the freedom that we had. And that comes from the gospel. All right, we'll do one, one, one more. more. Okay. Um, with respect to salvation by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what about people in this world who, because of their family situation, their community, or the nation that they grew up in, will never know Jesus, mainly due to the nature of their circumstances, yeah. things out of their control, aren't they being set up, I like how they put this kind of provocatively, aren't they being set up by God for failure? Yeah. So this, this seems like a tough question, but at least for me, and again, it's, I have a simple mind, this, this seems like just a softball of a question that is so easy to answer. However, it's kept people, I've, like, I've had people say, I'll never become a Christian. I'll never become a Christian. Because there are people in this world who have never even heard the name of Jesus Christ, and God is sending them to hell. I said, well, who told you that? Well, I heard it at church, or a friend of mine's a Christian, and that's just the way it is, man. So... <clears throat> Does that seem just to you? Does that seem fair? Do you, know, do you realize there's a clear principle, a clear principle in the Bible? You know, the more knowledge you have, the more responsibility that... So like you guys have sat here this morning, you've heard the scriptures read. That means you have, you've gained some knowledge and you have a lot of responsibilities on your shoulders, okay? We know statistically speaking, just statistically speaking, that if you were raised in a home of atheism or uh, a Buddhist home or a Hindu home or, or a Muslim home, that, that, that you have a great chance of being that. That's just, that's just pure statistics. That's, that's just the way it goes, okay? Here's the thing. God is the just judge. When people say, well, so those people going to, those people going to hell, I'm like, what are you asking me for? Do I, 
Am I God? Do you see like a halo above my head or something like that? Look, God is the only one. Where do we get off stepping into God's shoes and sitting on his throne and saying, I mean, as far as I'm, I'm reading the scriptures, it's like G, Jesus or God, you know, God, they're saying, okay, you go this way and you go this way. Nowhere does it say that John is saying you go this way and you go this way. <laughs> you know, are you serious? Look, this is so simple. Don't even worry about it. Don't even worry about it. Here's what I want you to. God is so smart. I just, he just is. He's very smart. And he's going to know exactly what to do. Does that mean that we shouldn't tell people about the gospel? We should not be running around telling people about this, okay? But we should go around because of the joy inside of us. Not because we have to, because we want to. Somebody said to me yesterday, I shared the gospel with two people yesterday alone. Okay, not because you have to, because you want to, because you understand it. But are you worried about somebody who's never heard the name of Jesus before being sent to hell? Ah, forget it, man. God knows what to do. You, listen, you don't have to be God anymore. I want to relinquish. You, I want to just, I want to take the burden. I want to take the burden off you. Take, okay, take it. Just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. You don't have to be God anymore. It's all right. It's cool. It's okay. You don't have to be God. Allow God to be God, and you just let you be you, and you just enjoy the incredible thing that Jesus Christ has done for you. He took that bloody, brutal cross. He took that. He said, I have to punish sin, so I will punish myself on their behalf. Whoa, are you serious? If you just have grace, there's no power. If you just have truth, there's no power. But if you have both grace and truth, that's a lot of power. How about, you know, in the Bible it talks giving a clap offering of praise to God. What? Let's do that. Let's just thank God for who he is. Jesus Christ is awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your gospel. Help us to never stop wrestling with it because it is the power to salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. God bless you.